Let him go. How are you this morning? How are the how are the roads out there? Black. Black. Pastor Mike's always helpful about the weather. I asked him, "What time is it? It's daytime." He'd say. Well, we're in Ephesians chapter four. Um, why don't you turn there in your Bibles today? We've been ever since the New Year preached a New Year's message out of Ephesians four and. Out of that, we sprung into a series on spiritual improvements, and uh, we're looking at some spiritual improvements that the Lord wants to make in all of our lives. How many know you can make as many New Year's resolutions as you want, but unless the Lord's doing the work and He's initiating the change, you're really, you're really on your own. And those, I would venture to say most New Year's resolutions are broken, forgotten, or recanted by now. Amen. And if not, God bless you. We'll see you in February, and we'll talk then, but uh, in our own strength, we really can effectuate very little change in our own lives, but following the things of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit, uh, you know, everything can change in our lives. So here we are in Ephesians chapter 4. We've uh, had a few installments of this series. I'm going to read verses, uh, uh, I guess I'm going to go 25 through the end of the chapter. Let's, let's jump in the Word together says this in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Verse 26 and 27, our text for the week. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification and according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So there's many, uh, there's many sections in there that we're going to break down, God willing, as we unfold this text about spiritual improvements. This week in verse 26 uh, we're going to look at anger. Last time we were together, we looked at lying, and we noted that we live in a generation where lying has become so commonplace that people do it without any shame, and that even when we're lied to, we almost expect it. Yeah. When uh, elected officials, politicians, leaders, government, when, when neighbors lie to us, we're not even shocked anymore. Yeah. You know, the things that used to shock our grandparents' generation are so commonplace for us now that it shows the decline of our culture. So if you didn't get the series online, if you didn't get that message, get online, get that in your spirit. But we pick up here in verse 26, and we move on to anger. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil opportunity. These verses provide powerful insights into how a believer can handle the legitimate emotion of anger and still please the Lord. 
Now, if you're paying attention to what I'm saying here, you heard me say the legitimate emotion. And that's what I want to start off by validating the fact that as we approach this topic, anger is a legitimate human expression. It's an emotion that God has given us. It's not intrinsically sinful to be angry. In fact, it can be expressed in a manner consistent with godliness. Now, if you've ever expressed anger and you knew it wasn't godly, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We're going to talk about this in detail, and uh, some of you are smiling and laughing already, so it looks like this is a fun group. We're going to have a good time. But there's times where, you know, our anger was not healthy, and it was not godly, and it did not please the Lord. It was not spirit. It was flesh. But what I want you to know is anger is a legitimate emotion, and it's something we need to learn how to handle. You and I have got to learn to handle our emotions, or our emotions will handle us. How many emotional people I got out there? Come on. All right. A few of you, and the rest are liars. Praise God. So that was last week's message. You can listen to that again. But we are, we're all emotional, all of us, some of us more than others. But we all struggle with our emotions. Some of us would never express our emotions, but inside we're seething, we're stewing, we're angry. And our face is like. So be angry and do not sin. And we approach this topic by legitimizing the fact that anger is an emotion God gave us. Now, there are people who claim to be very super spiritual. They're more spiritual than everybody else. They claim to have the moral high ground. And they'll say things like, a Christian should never be angry. Have you ever heard that? Well, a Christian should never be angry. Don't you just want to smack those people? Because not only is that categorically false and untrue, it's not biblical. And if, you know, you and I walk around like, uh, you know, these emotionally neutered people that never express any passion, any angst, any anger, you know, I would say that something is broken inside us, something is wrong with our Christianity. A Christian should never be angry is absolutely not true. And the person who says that, you know, you and I as believers should never get angry at anything at any time you know, that type of person who's unfazed, have you ever seen people, they're indifferent towards everything. You could tell them the worst thing, the worst situation, the most unjust situation, and they're unfazed by it. They're indifferent towards it. Now, someone who's unfazed and indifferent towards the evils of this world, towards the injustices of this world, is either emotionally stunted, meaning they don't know how to process their emotions in a healthy way, or they're morally confused. If you and I are so indifferent to the, the injustices of this life and the wickedness of men and the things that the ungodly do to, to people, something's wrong with us. Either we don't know how to process our emotions or our morality is messed up. If abortion doesn't make you angry, that babies would be murdered in the sanctity of their mother's womb. If you're indifferent towards that, if, if the injustice of racism and all, all kinds of, you know, things that governments, you know, do to people, and if you're indifferent towards that, if you're not feeling any of this, something's wrong with your Christianity. I, I don't know about you, but when I read my Bible all throughout the Old Testament, God got angry. He, a little Christian should never be angry. Smack. 
And when they get to heaven, they can tell God, well, you need to take an anger management class, God, because you were angry all the time. It's your, boy, I want to be there for that conversation, right? I've heard, God, I've heard people accuse God of all kinds of things. God's a misogynist. I'm like, man, I can't wait till you tell him that. I want to be there. I hope they have popcorn in heaven. I just want to sit down and watch this conversation. So anger's legitimate. We need to express it in a way that's consistent with godliness. Uh, the person who never gets angry, who's indifferent towards everything, something is wrong. You and I need to look at how God expressed anger, especially in the Old Testament, even as Jesus expresses it in the New Testament. We're going to look at that and realize it's a valid human emotion that we're allowed to express, but we've got to do it in a godly way. Someone say amen. amen. The first thing I want to talk to you about is this. When is anger consistent with godliness? We need to tell the difference between Godly anger that's spiritually productive and, you know, anger that is fleshly and totally unproductive. When is anger consistent with godliness? When we find ourselves getting angry at the same things that make God angry. You know, on the other side of this coin, if you're not angry about the things that make God angry, I don't know, you know, you're not on the same page with the Father. Well, I'm just indifferent. I don't get involved. I don't get emotionally caught up in these things. Well, are you a child of God? We used to sing a song, break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause. God, what, what you're upset about, I want to be upset about. What you're bothered about, I want it to bother me, God. I want you to break my heart for what breaks yours. And when we find ourselves angry at the things that make God angry, that's when our anger is expressed in a godly fashion. Now, godly anger is called righteous indignation. If you're taking notes today, you can write that down. If you're not taking notes, I'm going to quiz you after service. No, I'm just kidding. And everyone you get wrong, I'll think of something. But, you know, get this stuff in you, righteous indignation. If you've heard that term before, you know, well, that's anger that's expressed in a way that's righteous. It's godly. It's pleasing to the Lord. Now, can I just say something? Righteous indignation is rare. You know, most of the time we think, well, when that guy cut me off in traffic, the spirit of God welled up in me, and I was angry in a righteous way. No, you weren't. That was the flesh. Because <laughs> if we were spiritual, we'd be like, go ahead, you go. It's all right. You know, you know, it's all right. I consider others better than myself. Oh, he said that in church. I can't believe he said that in church. But, but, you know, we try to bill our anger as righteous indignation, but most of the time it's not. Most of our anger comes when our own pride and our ego and our selfishness is wounded. Who do you think you are? How are you talk to me that way? Why, why, you know, why would you, why would you, and, and we're angry. Why? Because our flesh got lathered up. Come on, second service. You know, I, 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 we're, all, we're, all, we're all in the same boat you're dealing with. Some of you look nervous out there. You're like, oh. No, we're all in the same boat. Why? Because we struggle with this stuff, and we want to say, well, you know, our anger is justified, or it's because of X, Y, and Z, and it's righteous. But many times, most of the time, it's just our pride and our selfishness. How do we know when our anger is righteous? When we're angry about the cost of sin on the souls of men. We should see what sin does to people, and it should break our heart to the point where we're angry. 
at what sin does. We should look at an alcoholic, a drug addict, a person caught up in prostitution or all kinds of immorality, and we should see the destruction it brings to the life of that person. We should see the physical toll it takes on their body. Have you ever seen the physical toll that it takes on someone who's addicted to certain drugs? And we should look at that, and it should make us angry at the effects of sin on society. We, when we're angry at the vile injustices done to others, how people are taken advantage of, how the poor are oppressed, how racism affects people, when it's legitimate and, and these evils are done, we should not be indifferent towards those things. When we're angry about the things that make God angry, we're on the right track. When we're angry about the effects of sin on our own life, this is where it got really quiet in first service. Like, well, I like the first two there. We can be angry at some people. But now all of a sudden, I've got to be angry, Gucci, about the effects of my own lack of discipline, my own license to sin, the, the effects of sin in my own life, how it's robbed my potential and stifled my anointing and cost me uh, the blessing of God. You know, so many of us live so far below the anointing that God's put in us. So many use less of the gifts God has given us, and it's a sad thing that we just kind of do de do through life and we don't reach our potential in God. Some of us are going to be sad in heaven when we see what we could have been and could have done if we would have made Jesus Lord of all instead of pursuing worthless things. So when we look at the effects of sin, amen, on our own lives and we're upset about it, look what that cost me, look at the relationships it destroyed, look at the years I've wasted, Hang in there, second service. It's going to get worse. <laughs> when we're angry about the devil destroying people we love, that's righteous indignation. We should look at the attack of the enemy on the lives of people that we love, and we should be upset about it. We shouldn't be indifferent towards it. Oh, it's not me, so, you know, everything's good for me, but the people around me that I love, they're, they're under attack. They're being destroyed. They're, their lives are crumbling. We've got to be so engaged to the point where that makes us angry about what the enemy does in the lives of people. Are you angry about what God's angry about? You're on the right track. If you're angry about things that God's not angry about, maybe it's not worth being angry about those things. Amen? When I was a young man, I used to get angry at a lot of things. And I, my, my dad used to laugh at me. When I was angry and my dad laughed at me, I, I would get angrier. And I said, what are you laughing at? And he's like, when you get older, that's not going to bother you at all. And you know what? He was right. Those things don't bother me at all anymore. I'm angry about new things now. <laughs> but, you know, you do get mature. You do grow up. You realize ah, it's just life. And that you don't have to kick and cuss and scream and jump up and down and throw a tantrum. No, you, it's just life. And so we're going to get through this, Amen. So we mature and we grow, but there's always something that trips our trigger, and there's always something that'll make us angry and lather up our flesh. So we've got to learn to deal with anger. Uh, Jesus was not an angry person. Did I get a half an amen? What I get? I got half. Okay. Yeah, thanks, Pastor Mike. I appreciate it. Jesus, you know we got these pictures of smiling Jesus. Laughing Jesus. Come on, you've seen these pictures? They the Jesus holding the baby, Jesus blessing the children. You got no angry Jesus. You got any angry Jesus pictures? 
No, because categorically, that didn't define his character. It wasn't who he was. You wouldn't say, you know, this is a snapshot of who Jesus is. No, Jesus was not an angry person. He was a loving person. If there's one thing that, you know, would, would just categorize who he was, he was love, amen, and he was patient, and he was gracious. Like, I'm being patient and gracious this morning with your quietness. But, you know, Jesus wasn't an angry person, and when he dealt with people, it was always out of love. In fact, he could say really hard things to people in love, and they would receive it. Do you know what says something to you? It's, it's hard to, to take, but you could see the love they have for you in their eyes. Man, you can receive it because you know it's coming from a place of love. So Jesus was a lover. He wasn't an angry person. But, you know, the truth is that I would be completely disingenuous to say that Jesus never got angry because time and time in Scripture, the Scripture shows that he did get angry. And you know what? If, if, if anger was a sin, Jesus would have never got angry. Jesus would have went with that super spiritual, Christians should never be angry. And he did get angry, and he expressed his anger without sin, and it was the perfect display of righteous indignation, and the Scripture shows it over and over again. Do you know the first time in Scripture I found where we could say that Jesus was angry was in Mark 10, 14, when his disciples refused to let the children come to him so that he could bless them. Mark 10, 14, it says this, but when Jesus saw this, what, what, that they restrained the children, he was indignant. Now, indignant is a nice way of saying he was ticked off. He was angry. You know, indignant sounds like it, it's almost like British. How dare you? You know, something... No, but he was upset. He was mad, and he, and he showed anger, and he was indignant, and he said to them, allow the children to come to me. Do not forbid them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I say to you, look, he drives the point home, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter into it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them and laying his hands on them. The first time Jesus shows a little angst with his disciples, right here, they restrained the children, and he saw the hypocrisy of it, that they were so spiritually blind that they thought children didn't matter because they were, you know, they're just little nuisances. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You know, many times Jesus was upset with his disciples. He was loving, but there are times where he said, hey, Peter, get behind me, Satan, because you don't have God's interest in mind. You have man's. He, he, he kind of went off on Peter a couple times. You know, and Peter thought he was the premier disciple. And here he is getting called Satan. He's like, uh, what happened? Jesus showed the times where he was upset in the garden. Could you not stay awake with me for one hour? Do you think he was happy when he said that? Other instances of Jesus being upset happened when he dealt with the religious crowd. No group upset Jesus more than the religious people. He was always locking horns with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers and, and all the, you know, all, all the hoity-toity big shots who were trying to trap him in his words and trick him and discredit him. Here's some of the interaction he had with them. Listen to what he says in Mark 7, 6. And he said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Do you think he was happy when he said that? 
You can't say hypocrite and smile at the same time. I dare you to try it. <laughs> Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside they are full of dead man's bones and uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to people, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus was saying you want to look good, but you don't want to be good. You want to fool people, but inside you're all broken up and messed up. And the hypocrisy of that offends me and it makes me angry. Two times in Jesus' ministry, he cleansed the temple. You know, and it's an interesting thing that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and at the end, he made a whip of cords, he drove money changers out, he flipped tables, and he rebuked the people for the zeal of his father's house. Think about this. Jesus made, he took the time to fashion a whip. He, he put some cords together. And, and I can't see Jesus, you know, using that whip, and he's all happy like, no, he went off. He's, he's flipping tables. You don't flip tables with, you know, a really, you know, passive demeanor. I don't have any footage of this. I don't have any videotape, Pastor Mike, but I guarantee the zeal that he had for his father's house and the, the iniquity of the merchandising that was going on there made him angry. Woo. Now, I'm not going to make any whips of cords this morning. But how many can say there's times where, you know, I wanted to make a whip. I wanted to flip some tables. And Jesus did it. And he expressed his righteous indignation for them turning his father's house, which was to be a house of prayer, into a den of thieves where they merchandised and made money. So Jesus expressed anger. He wasn't an angry person, but anger is part of the human emotion. And he expressed it in a godly way. Now, man's anger is categorically unproductive. This is point three if you're taking notes, and point three if you're going to be tested later. So man's anger is categorically unproductive. What does that mean? That means when my flesh gets lathered up and I burst into anger, I can count on it not producing any good results. How many of you have ever gotten angry before, and you, you know, on the other end of your anger, you made the situation worse than it was? Isn't it delightful when we make things more difficult for ourselves than it has to be? When we turn the proverbial molehill into a mountain? Well, that's what anger does. And the anger of man is categorically unproductive. Now, ever meet the type of person that can only be described as the emotional volcano? Everything's good. Everything's fine. You do one thing wrong, say one thing wrong, and boom, they explode. You know, the, these people, uh, you know, they can go from zero to 200 miles an hour with their anger. I remember as a young man working for bosses where everything seemed good and, the, you know, I'm in, I'm in construction, we're out there, the sun is shining, the birds are chirping, everyone's happy. One thing goes wrong and literally we got hammers being thrown on the work site. Wow. I could tell you stories, but I won't. At people, I remember as a young man watching this one guy, was an older fella, just have an anger explosion that was downright scary. Tony, he looked like he was going to have a heart attack. His head turned red. It was like the cartoons. Freaking out, screaming, inventing new curse words. You know, 
and you're just watching this, and it's like hard to watch. That emotional volcano, that explosive anger, it's destructive on so many levels. It's shocking to witness. And if it's ever been directed at you or it's ever happened in you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We explode on someone else, and, and, and when we're done, we feel so defiled and so sad about, you know, the way we conducted ourselves. Hey, Christian, listen, I know sometimes that people provoke you. I know sometimes people purposely pick at your scabs and try to push your buttons. I know that, you know, there are times where people just want to set you off. But let me just say something to you. If you finally decide to let them have it, 100% of the time, I can guarantee you this, it will not have the effect on them that you desire. When you finally decide to let them have it, and you think you're going to set them straight, and you're going to out-anger them, and you're going to, you know, cuss them into compliance, or like, I'm just being real here this morning. I, I know, let's not all be so holy. Now I'm going to let them have it, and then they're never going to mess with me again. 100% of the time, it's guaranteed not to work, but to have the opposite effect. And here's why. Because James 1, 19 through 20 tells us, you know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Now everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. This is why 100% of the time our anger is guaranteed to fail. Because our anger that's expressed in the flesh will not produce the spiritual results we are looking for. It, can, it can't do it. It's impossible. Well, I'll just scare them. I'll just put them in their place. I'll just draw a line in the sand. No, you'll make the situation worse. You'll embarrass yourself. People who once respected you won't anymore, and you'll continue to have problems with people like this because the devil will bring them across your path to push your buttons so that you'll defile yourself for your lack of self-control. Please listen to me this morning. It's not manly, it's not macho, it's not, you know, uh, it's not powerful to, to express anger in, in this way, and it's not going to have the result that you want. It's taken some of us a long time to learn this, but once you learn it, you realize that anger is not the way to go because it is categorically unproductive. Now, look what the text says there. We should be quick to hear and slow to speak. You got two ears and one mouth. Listen twice as much as you talk. Some of you need to hear this. Ladies. Listen twice as much as you talk. You know I'm a gangster, right? I'm not scared of anything. So sometimes, you know, and, and it's not just the ladies. It's the men, too. You know, it's like when someone's talking and, and we're just thinking of, of our rebuttal or, ooh, ooh, it's my turn now. You know, when's my turn? You, so we got to get these emotions under control here. And it moves from the listening and the speaking right into and slow to anger. Say slow. For man's anger does not bring the righteousness of God. So we've got to be slow, not explosive. We should have a really long fuse. It should take a long time. I remember when we were growing up, my brother and I, my dad has a ton of patience. If we got dad angry, we really, I mean, we, we really accomplished something. 
And when we got in trouble, we deserved it. We, as you can ask Gary, we'd sit in a room, well, we deserved that. We, we're being here till we're 29 years old, but we deserved it. We should have a slow fuse. We should have a lot of patience. And, you know, you and I, if we have that propensity to be explosive and to be, uh, you know, the emotional volcano, we have to let the Holy Spirit fix that in us because we're broken. Slow to anger. Turn to your neighbor and say, slow your roll, player. Slow your roll, player. Get yourself a long fuse. Right? It's a good thing to have a long fuse. It's what James is telling us here. So man's anger is never productive because it's flesh, and the flesh doesn't produce spiritual results. The Holy Spirit is working hard to bring us all to the level of spiritual maturity because that's what this is. It's spiritual maturity. He wants us to come to that place of spiritual maturity that allows us to have the self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, to be slow to anger. So if you're explosive, if you're super emotional, pray that the Holy Spirit would work that out of you and give you that self-control to be slow to anger. Now, Scripture puts a time constraint on the duration of our anger. We can't just, you know, get angry and stay angry and be angry and become an angry person. No, verse 26 is very clear here that it says, be angry and, and do not sin. Listen, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, if you get angry in the beginning of the day and you got, you know, a few hours of sunlight to settle it out, you know, I don't want you to get legalistic about this. Well, you know, it says that the sun sets at 5.30 and so I'm going to be really angry until 5 and then I'll start a cool off period and then, no, it's a principle. It's a principle, right? That we're not supposed to, the duration of our anger needs to be quick, and we need to then let it go. Why? Because if we, it's kind of like manna. If you kept the manna too long, what happened? It would rot and it would stink. Why did God want to do that? Because he wanted his people to depend on him daily for their provisions. So, you know, I, I liked it that, you know, you, you took too much because you didn't trust God and it would stink. And people would walk by your house and go, no faith over there. They don't trust the Lord, you know, smell that. You, you know, anger is something that people hold on to, and here the word is telling us that's a really bad thing to do. Here's the best way for us to handle anger. In, this is the best case scenario. One, arrive at the place of anger as slowly as possible. Use self-control even as you're being angry so that you can discern, is this my flesh or is this something that, you know, God is allowing me to feel because he, he wants me to be upset about it so he can use me to do something about it? When our anger is from God, it's because he wants us to be part of the solution to that issue. Uh, you should get that this morning. So arrive at the place of anger slowly. Number two, vent your anger in a godly way. Have you ever seen someone who was justified in being angry? Someone had did something to them that's indefensible. Yet when they expressed their anger, they did it with cursing and threatening and breathing murderous intentions. Come on, I'm just being real in church. And you this and you that and blankety blank and I'll do this and I'll kill you. And, and people are say stuff like this. And I'm like, how did you start off right and wind up here? Many a times, you know, halfway in the middle of the fight, we're like, man, I started off being right. Now I'm worse than the person. What, I'm worse than what they did. You know, they stepped on my toe. I just blew up their house. <laughs> you know, and the house is on fire and you're walking away. 
What did I do? Well, anger got the best of us. So we arrive slowly. We handle our anger in a godly way. This requires self-control to keep our mouths clean, to keep, you know, the things that we say factual and godly. And then number three, we abandon that anger as quickly as possible. You get upset, you say your peace, and you let it go. And if necessary, you ask for forgiveness, and you, you, br- you broke a restoration in the relationship. I remember in our generation when, you know, we would get into a conflict, we'd, we'd have a fight, right, Pastor Mike? We'd smack each other around a little bit, and then what? You shake hands at the end, and it's done. Not anymore. Now, the police involved, the lawyers involved, retaliation's on the table. It goes on for years. It's the Hatfields and the McCoys. So we arrive at anger slowly. We we vent our anger in a godly way, and then we let it go as quickly as possible. We all know those people who get mad and stay mad forever, right? They got mad. In fifth grade, somebody did something to them. They're still mad. They can still tell you, you know, Mrs. So-and-so put me in the corner and blamed me, and it wasn't me. It was Johnny in the third row, and I'm mad, and I'm never letting it go. I've heard people say, I'll be angry at them. I'll never forgive them to the day I die. Some couples say, well, you know, we never let the sun go down in our anger. When we fight, you know, we just don't go to bed angry. And some of you have been up for years. (laughs) Just sitting there. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. Let it go. Let it go. Go to sleep. (laughs) Kiss and make up. You can't even remember what you were mad about. You think, I'm mad. Was I wrong? I can't remember. Was I right? Was I wrong? I don't care. I'm mad. You got to let that anger go as soon as possible. Uh, The person who's forever angry and just holds the grudge, you know, they're the type of person who, you know, they hold the grudge to the grave, and they're the ones starting fights at funerals. Have you seen that sort of stuff? I've seen people at the graveside arguing and fighting. Family. Why? They never forgave. They ruin every holiday. They stir up the pot every chance they get. Why? Because they got mad and they stay mad and they won't let it go and they're stuck in their anger and it's destructive. The forever angry person hurts everyone around them, but they hurt themselves the most. They destroy all their relationships. They cut themselves off from the grace of God. Jesus said, you know, we have to forgive those who trespassed against us so that we can be forgiven. Well, I won't forgive. Now you just put a lid on your life. Now you're going to struggle with, the, with your sins that you have to deal with without the grace of God. Mm. So the forever angry person has made a choice that opens themselves up to an avalanche of negative consequences. There are so many people with shattered marriages, families, and other important relationships because they've chosen to stay angry. Sons and daughters angry at their parents, estranged from their family because they've chosen to stay angry. There are so many people, listen, with cancer and ulcers and stomach problems and other health issues because they have stayed angry. I don't know what's wrong with me and my blood pressure keeps going up. You're angry. I don't know what's wrong with me. My stomach is always upset. You're angry. 
And the sun went down and the sun came up and the sun went down and the sun came up and you've still chosen to be angry. And let me tell you something. Physiologically, anger will have an effect on the human body and it will not be good. There are so many people in spiritual bondage and spiritual decline and in spiritual isolation because they're angry. I'm mad at the church. I'm mad at those Christians. I'm mad at that pastor. Do you see what he did? He stood up to the pulpit and said the truth. How dare he? And I'm mad, and I'm never going back to church again. Spiritual isolation, spiritual decline, estranged from the body of Christ. There are so many people in prison emotionally, mentally, and literally because they allowed anger to get the best of them. And they should have forgave, and they should have forget, and they should have moved on with life, but they didn't, and they harbored anger, and it turned into violence, and they did some things and crossed the line, and now they're locked in a six-by-five cell because they wouldn't let the anger go. Church, this is as serious as it can get. Relational problems, societal problems, Marital problems, all of these things stem from anger. And here the scripture puts a time constraint. We are to let it go. When the sun goes down, we need to clear the slate. We need to wake up that next day. Now, verse 27 reveals why it is so spiritually dangerous to stay angry. And I'm going to try and close with this. Verse 27, and do not give the devil an opportunity. So, Here's a little something on the tail end. Be angry and do not sin. We understand not all anger is sin, but righteous indignation pleases the Lord. Fleshly anger is inconsistent with godliness and it's destructive. So don't let the sun go down on it. Forgive quickly. Let it go. And 27 here just adds a little something. Do not give the devil an opportunity. You see, this reveals a little something here. Staying angry gives the enemy access to our souls. You and I should have our spiritual armor on so that the devil can find no place in us. We should be impervious to him. His arrows, his flaming arrows, his attacks should bounce right off on us. Why? Because we got the armor of God on. But the minute we choose to be disobedient to the commandment of God and to forgive others and to let our anger go, we open up our armor and expose our vitals to the enemy. And it says here, do not give the devil an opportunity. Now, if you look at the Greek word for opportunity there, it is the Greek word topos. And listen to what topos means. It's very telling. Topos means an internal inhabitable space. Did you hear that? An internal inhabitable space. What does it mean? You open yourself up and you give a place at the table of your heart to the enemy. And he can inhabit it. He now has the legal right because of unforgiveness to speak to you, to confuse you, to attack you. And what happens when you give the devil a place at your table? He begins to speak to you. He whispers to you, don't put up with that. How dare they disrespect you? They should never talk to you like that. Stand up for yourself. Don't be weak. And he whispers in your ear. And he lathers you up and he gets you to explode and he gets you to defile yourself and to get in the flesh. When you give the enemy a seat at your table, an inhabitable space in your heart, he will begin to speak to your hurt. You know, the only thing we should do with our hurt is bring it to Jesus. 
Because we can trust him with it. We're hurt. Our hearts are broken. We're disappointed. Bring it to Jesus. He'll heal the brokenness. When we allow the enemy an opportunity to speak to our hurt, all he'll do is lather us up, get us more and more angry, and hurt us even more. Topos, that inhabitable space, it's an opportunity for the enemy to steal our joy, destroy our testimony, and wreck our relationships. Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Forgive as quickly as Christ has forgiven you. And don't give the enemy any place in your life. Bring your hurts to Jesus. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I thank you this morning for this series, Lord God. All of us have been hurt. All of us have suffered injustice. All of us are angry about things that are legitimate. But help us to be angry and sin not. Help us to bring our anger to you, to forgive those who hurt us. Father, maybe they didn't know any better. Maybe they had no intention to do it. Maybe they're not even sorry, but whatever the case is, we don't want to be locked in a prison of unforgiveness, so we choose to forgive and to allow our anger to go. Praying this morning for anyone trapped in anger that's stuffed down, that's buried, it's alive, it's not dealt with, and you explode, and you're an emotional volcano. This morning, I pray that the Spirit of God would deliver you and bring you the peace of God that passes all understanding. Deliver your people today from anger, Lord God. Help us to forgive as easily as we've been forgiven and to be like Jesus, loving and gracious and kind. When we do express anger, let it be consistent with godliness, I pray in Jesus' name. Help us to be angry about all the things you're angry about, Lord, so that we can make a difference in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give him praise this morning.